This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. And we are beginning a new series on beliefs that will keep you stuck. I'm in the studio with Austin Connor. Hey, it's just us today, John. It's been a while since yep. you and I have kind of jammed out together. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll uh, get into this and we'll have some fun. So this series, Beliefs That Keep You Stuck, we're going to look at five beliefs that can really get you hung up. There's going to be a part one and a part two for each belief. And in the first episode of each belief, we're going to explore the wrong belief that will keep you hindered and stuck And then in the second episode, we're going to look at what is a better belief to replace it with and some strategies to get you unstuck. Yeah. And here's, here's what we're doing this guys. There are a lot of beliefs out there that sound good. They sound spiritual and Christian that are just wrong. And these, these beliefs, they're coming more from cultural wisdom instead of biblical wisdom. And John, I don't know about you. I've seen so many clients that hold these unbiblical beliefs that are going to keep them stuck. Some of them know it, but a lot of them don't. And I just see they're weighed down, they're burned out, they're berating themselves because they feel like they're not living up to a lot of these five beliefs that we're going to get into. And uh, these people, and maybe you guys listening can identify with them, it's, it's just really hard, filled with guilt and shame and frustration and hopelessness. So anyway, we wanted to just kind of address these, bring what is kind of implicit into the light so that we can help you guys get some relief. Yeah, we want to bring you some hope and some freedom. And one of the things that we know is when you put words around beliefs that you hold that maybe you don't uh, recognize readily, they start to be able to be managed. And we hold these things, we we carry them around, and we'll gain some relief. This is our hope from the burdens that come from these enslaving ideas. So, Kind of like a hippie in the 60s, we want you to have a little more peace, and we're going to give you some specific ways to move in that direction. So, Austin, you kick us off, and what's the belief we're tackling today? Belief number one, it's selfish to get my needs met. Okay, let me kick things off with an illustration. A couple years ago, our family, uh, we flew to Disney, and it was a great trip, but what I remember is on the flight— when the flight attendants were kind of going through their spiel about what happens in turbulence and all that, they talk about the airplane masks. And if you flow and you know what I'm talking about, the airplane mask comes down and they said, put your own mask on first and then help others with their mask. Hmm. And my thought and all my wisdom and smartness, I'm like, well, that's kind of dumb. That's not very Christian. Like, I want my kid to breathe. Yeah, I'm going to help my kids first and then I'm going to put my own a mask on. I'm going to, you know, exercise my Christian duty, focus on the needs of others first. And this thinking, it, it fits in line with this Christian mantra of sorts that I heard at a Christian camp a long time ago. Maybe you've heard this, God first, others second, self third. Hmm. It's great in theory, 
but it's bad in practice, especially when you're flying. But guess what? It turns out the airlines know more than me. Why? Well, if I don't put my own mask on first, I'm going to pass out in about five seconds, and then I'm no good to anybody. Hmm. Instead, what they knew that I didn't is when I put my own mask on first, I have access to oxygen so that then I can help others. Now, why is this relevant to that mantra? You know, that, that mantra of God first, others second, me third. I think this shows up all over the place in, yeah. in Christian life. You know, it shows up in friendships. Maybe you've got friends who they're always doing what they want to do. Anytime you put an idea out, hey, let's go to this concert, let's go to this restaurant, let's go on that trip, everybody's like, no, I don't want to do that. And, and maybe you tell yourself, oh, well, okay, I never get what I want, but let's just always do what they want. You know, after all, I, I don't want to be selfish. And remember, God first, others second, me third. I'll take the back seat. Take the back seat. I think it can show up in marriages. Okay, let's say uh, you've got a husband who loves to host and has people over all the time, but the wife just can't keep up, is exhausted, really wishes they could just slow down their schedule, maybe have some family time every night of the week. But then she says, well, we're hosting, and I guess it's being hospitable. I don't want to be selfish, so I'll just keep serving and doing this in order to serve my husband and all these other people. After all, God first, others second, me third. Last one, uh, jobs. Hmm. You know, maybe you've got a coworker or even a superior who's always asking you to help them with their tasks. And a part of you thinks, well, I want to help them, especially because I think it's going to go well for me. But then the other part realizes, ah, when I help them with their tasks, I'm not getting my own stuff done. But I don't want to be selfish and I want to help them. So let me just keep doing things for them after all. And by now, let's say together, God, God first, first, other second, second me third. third. Yeah. Here, here's the point. Yeah. In all these stories, the person didn't put their own mask on. Uh, instead, they looked to serve and help because they believed that it was selfish to get their own needs met. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Why believing this mantra why does this keep people stuck? In other words, if I think it's selfish to get my needs met, that sounds pretty spiritual. Yeah, um, yeah. But it keeps people in the same old spot is what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think that if you neglect your own needs and you don't put your own mask on and get oxygen, I think at least three things are going to happen. I think first, we're just going to be exhausted working so hard all the time to meet others' needs that we're just going to get worn down physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And when that happens, you're going to be instinctively reacting to needs rather than thoughtfully responding, hmm. right? The second thing uh, I think is going to happen is that we're going to begin to harbor and cultivate bitterness and resentment. You know, you, you, if maybe I'm just speaking for me. I've for sure thought this, maybe you too. You're going to start wondering why other people aren't paying attention to our own needs or giving thought to how they can help us. Why am I always the one giving and serving? How about you do something for me for a change? Even though you're the one that's decided to put yourself in the backseat. Exactly right. Uh, last one, I think this can cultivate pride. If we believe that it's selfish to get my own needs met, it can cultivate pride. We're, we're going to begin to laud and to boast in the fact that, hey, look at us. We're working so hard. Now, you're probably not going to just say this explicitly, but you're going to kind of think this and believe this privately. It's like all of this service we're doing for people is going on a resume. And then we can hand it to others and especially God and say, look, do you see how hard I'm working? Look at all this serving. Look at all this serving. Look what I'm doing. Guess what? That's pride. 
You know, that is so true. And as you're describing this, I was thinking about how in all of those examples, people are taking the back seat in the name of being spiritual and doing the right thing. And one of the things that comes to mind is what I've heard clients over and over say, you know, Jesus did tell me that I'm supposed to deny myself and take up my cross daily. Uh, you get into Luke 14, 26, and Jesus even uses the word, you know, hate yourself. But the goal of this, and I think this is where people get really tied up around the axle, the goal of self-denying and cross-bearing and Christ-following discipleship is not to become nothing or to take the back seat all the time, but really what he's saying is to be truly fulfilled, you have to lose your life. And those who lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. What Jesus is talking about is not denying yourself of things mm -hmm. or your preferences or your desires. Uh, one author put it this way, the self-denial that Christ is calling for is a denial of that part of you that's the individual, rebellious, personal, I don't care what God thinks, I'm going to do this anyway. I'm not factoring God into the process. So mm -hmm. simply put, God designed us with legitimate needs, legitimate desires, and legitimate longings. Ooh, needs, desires, longing. I like those categories. T tell me more. Yeah, we've referred to them as NDLs, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, so let's just break them down quickly. Let's take need. Uh, need, let's give a definition to it. It's, it's an essential requirement for human existence. Right? You need food, you need air, you need good, loving connection. And these are all legitimate needs. They're not sinful. They're not wrong. They're not um, anything inherently against God's design. He made us for these things. And what they speak to is our dependency upon God. So because of how God has made us, it's good to be in need, and it's good to want our needs to be met. It really is a driver for connection with God and other people. Like, I can't be on an island isolated on my own. I need other people. So Jesus even refers to these basic needs in Matthew 6. He's talking about worries and cares of being human. He says, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? These are all pressing needs that God knows that we need even before we come to him. Yeah, and even, even in that story, Jesus doesn't rebuke people for having those needs. No. He says they're good and they're going to get met, but it's a question of who's going to do it. Not you primarily, but God. So, so he names and honors those. Again, it's that dependency thing. Yep. You know, your father knows you need these things before you ask but ask because it exercises that dependency muscle. Yeah. Like, I need you, God. Yeah. All right, that's need. But I think we also deal with something that goes beyond your basic needs, and that's desire. Um, and it's a bit different. So let's put a definition to it. It's a strong wishing or wanting for something. Now, this is really interesting because the New Testament word for our word desire is the same word for lust. So, Jesus lusts. Hmm. So, in Luke 22, he says to the disciples, I have eagerly desired, and the word there in the Greek is lust, I have eagerly lusted to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Hmm. So, you're saying there's the word, same as lust, but there's some different senses or meanings to the word lust. 
Yeah, let me give you one more example, and then I'll elaborate on that. Yeah. Uh, Philippians one twenty three. Paul said, I strongly desire, mm. Greek word for lust, I strongly lust to depart this life and be with the Lord. So that is good lust. I would say the difference is when lust moves from a small L to a capital L, or it is, as Dan Hallander says, desire gone mad. You know, it's desire on steroids. So desire is God-given. It's good. We were created to desire all kinds of things like beauty, creativity, impact, even the desire for more. You know, think of the garden. It was paradise, and God gave it to them, and they wanted more of it. But when it becomes man-driven or jacked up with sin steroids, it creates a lot of damage and isolation from God and basically spiritual implosion. So desire, but then we have longings. Can you help me parse out what's the difference between a desire and a longing, which yeah. is that third category? So we got needs, got desires, they're legitimate, and then there's longing. Um, and I think the difference here is there's some overlap, but if desires are 10 feet below the surface, longings are 10 miles below the surface. Mm. Uh, you see this reflected in Romans 8, where Paul says the anxious longing of the creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Uh, the creation was subjected to futility. The creation will be set free, for we know the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And then Paul goes on in verse 23. He says, we groan inside of ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption. So this is longing. It's something that is going to be perennial all the time and not fully fulfilled and touched until things are made new. So these things reveal deeper parts of the soul, of who we are and how we bear the image of God what we love, what we're living for, what we value. Uh, they move many times beyond the physical and emotional dimension of our spiritual lives. So you might recognize a deep longing for fulfillment, affirmation, attention, acceptance, someone just to accept me, flaws and all, inner peace deep in your soul. I mean, who gets that fully in this life, right? You might long for greater intimacy or connection with God or others. And these longings push us beyond ourselves and they create meaning out of our lives. And they reflect that we're made for something bigger. Hmm. You know, as you were listing off all of those things, um, I don't know about you guys. My experience was I got it intellectually. Like, yeah, I, I can read that. But then like the more emotional, instinctual reaction was, man, I don't know if I'm worthy of that. Or if nothing else, I don't quite have a category for that. So it's just interesting, even as you're saying it, it's like, okay, yeah, longings sound good on an abstract board, but in terms of the experience of my life, I, it's not a natural, like, let me lean into this and pursue this. It's maybe, a, I don't know if this is right. Is this good? Am I being selfish if I lean into that? So just the way that you're saying this, this is really, really helpful. Um, let me do this. Let me summarize it, make sure mm -hmm. I got this right. Do it. Needs, desires, longings. Mm -hmm. Needs are essential requirements for human existence. Desires is strong wishing or wanting for something. And then a longing kind of connected to desires, but a little bit deeper and stronger. This is stuff like acceptance and value and validation and meeting and purpose. These are kind of the stubborn, godly weeds that just don't go away. 
Does that, does that seem right? Yeah, we talked about it being like a soup with lots of ingredients, and, and yeah. they overlap. But there are some nuances and differences. But recognizing them, naming them, embracing them, and working with them is not at all selfish. So we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and do more. We'll be right back in a jiffy. But we want to take a quick pause to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting this episode to a friend. And find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. Okay, so we had needs, desires, and longings. We were created for these things. This is how it's supposed to be. But, and John, you got to help me out here. Genesis 3 happened. Sin entered the world, fractured and broke everything, including those needs, desires, and longings. So how have you thought about all of these in light of the fact that we're living in a world impacted by sin? Yeah, so we all retain like an imprint from what we're designed for, like a fossil imprint almost. And I would say that 99% of our sin patterns boot off of legitimate needs, desires, and longings that we try to meet in illegitimate, unhealthy ways. So physical needs, not sinful. An infant crying for food. Are you going to look at your infant and say, hey, you're idolizing food. Stop it. That's sin. No, that's ridiculous. I don't do that anymore. Yeah. The first one didn't feed her for two years. Uh, Just kidding. You know, (laughs) yeah, right. So I'm not laughing with you because I'm really thinking about over the course of many years of ministry, I have run into parents who have believed if I cave to my infants crying, Mm. if I cave to every time they want to eat, they have literally told me, I don't want to feed that sin nature in them. And I just cringe when I hear that because that has nothing to do with sin. It has everything to do with God's design. The kiddo wants food, comfort, longing for parental connection. It is not sinful. They need it. Um, Physical needs, they're good. We need to pay attention to them, and it's not selfish to. Uh, Desire. Uh, Desire for intimacy. How does this play out in the fall? Here's an easy one. Uh, You know, you either bring this to God like the psalmist. We'll get more into this in episode two, where the psalmist is always like, how long, O Lord? Or... If you don't want to wait and you don't want to suffer it, Hmm. if this need is not met or this desire, you look for illegitimate ways to immediately meet it and you take and you consume something or someone else for your immediate pleasure and enjoyment. Pornography, great example. Uh, Deep desires, I want someone to delight in me. I want beauty. I want connection all good. Even the physical pleasure, right? Yes. That's all good things. And yet. Yeah. God created sex for physical pleasure. To want that and to want more of that is God-given. Praise God. I'm really glad that I want more sex. I know that sounds foreign and I know it sounds silly, but it's naming the goodness of something that the evil one takes to create incredible damage. And the way we participate in it is I don't want to wait for this to be met. 
How long am I going to have to wait? So I will go virtually to pornography and I will take something that seems to meet that need, but it leaves me even more empty and more thirsty. Desire for recognition, validation of hard work. You know, suppose you're sitting there and your colleague is affirmed for something and you're thinking, well, if they get affirmed, maybe they'll get a better review and they get promoted before I do. So I'm not going to join in the affirmation because it'll make me look inferior. So you hold back. You know, that's taking a legitimate desire. I want to be noticed and using it to manipulate. Yeah. And I'm even thinking about another kind of related to work, kind of not even just the desire for money and more money. You know, money in and of itself is a good thing, very but good. it's very yeah. good. But but as the scriptures say, uh, the root of all evil is the desire for more money, mm-hmm. you know, to make more than the next person or others at all costs. Uh, you know what? It's actually the love of money. Yeah. Yeah. Like making it the central organizing principle totally. of your life. It's it's like you go in Walter White. You know, I'm watching Better Call Saul <laughs> right now, and so I'm all in this world. The thing about Walter White, right? His desire was to care for his family. That was a legit thing. How did he go about doing that? He turned himself into a monster, and he was really good at it. Remember that scene, $80 million. He's got like seven big blue tubs of money. Well, guess what? He turned that good desire into a love of money, and it consumed him, consumed his family, and John, as you said earlier, what'd you say? Well, we both laughed because yeah. we stumbled into it. Like, he broke bad. <laughs> there it is. Right. So a legitimate desire that's yeah. really good. Yeah. And, you know, if you watch Breaking Bad, you're like, wow, this guy's getting a lot of power. This is really cool. And that's how alluring it is when you want something that's good and it's beyond your reach. Yeah. And you reach for it and you take it in illegitimate ways. And in that way, this is the gospel of Breaking Bad. He broke bad. He did. He did. Can you, um, John, you know, we talked about how closely desires and longings can be together. Can you help us think about what about longings? Yeah. Sometimes it's harder to parse out desires from longings, but this has been pretty helpful for me. A longing is more enduring and it goes deeper even than deep desires. So no no matter how much you yearn for that desire to be met and fulfilled, it stays out of reach. It's constantly there until Jesus returns. Like Paul in Romans 8, I long for heaven. I want my body to be fully put back together and redeemed. And I groan for that. And that's suffering. Um, I groan because I don't have it right now. Mm -hmm. And groaning is hard to live with. Yeah. The, the way I'm, I'm thinking about all this is the fact, I think what, you, what you're saying is sin has not completely erased or destroyed those needs, desires, and longings. Not at all. You know, I'm, I'm thinking a couple weeks ago, we had some people over and we had a bonfire. Uh, we have a little fire pit at our house and um, the thing was kind of burning itself out, but it was still burning. It was time to go to bed. So we just have a hose down there and I put all sorts of water on it, sprayed it on there for like four or five minutes. And I'm like, all right, it's good. Well, uh, I go back 30 minutes later and some of those embers still kept burning. Yeah. And I was like, man, this stubborn, stubborn wood. But, but I say that because, you know, sin is kind of like water on that fire, you know, hmm. tries to put it out. But those logs, those, the NDLs, they're more stubborn and they don't go out. They remain. And so to, to be a little more explicit, we still have dignity and value and glory. You know, Francis Schaeffer uh, he he says it like this. He said, we still have rags of glory. Hmm. Uh, Tolkien, he says that we are glorious 
ruins. And they're getting these images from verses like Psalm uh, chapter 8, verse 5, five, where it says, you've crowned mankind, men and women alike, with glory and honor. That is present tense. It means it remains. Yeah, so when you have these needs, desires, and longings, I think it's really healthy to recognize, man, this is God's glory in me. This is really good. And I think that takes out some of the appeal where the enemy comes in and says, you know, I'm going to shame you here. If Jesus were enough, you wouldn't have these things, so you're not very spiritual. And then you just go down that rabbit hole. Your log illustration, I just kept thinking of those mm. birthday candles that mm. don't go out like when you <laughs> blow yeah. them. Yeah, right? that's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, that is so good. So you're starting to hit on what the better belief is. So why don't we pause there for now? We'll get back to that or come to it in our next episode. But for now, let me give our listeners one practical takeaway. All right, hit us. All right, reflect on your life. Where are you neglecting, ignoring, and stuffing your God-given needs, desires, and longings, or labeling them as, this is selfish? Mm -hmm. um, to hit on your illustration, where are you failing to put the airplane mask on your own face first? Yeah. Yeah. I love that takeaway. Um, you know, again, told you I'm in Breaking Bad World right now, finishing up Better Call Saul. And there was a recent line where one of the Salamancas told somebody, hey, follow the money. Hmm. And I'd say for, for you, don't follow the money, but follow those three signs that show that maybe you might be stuck. You know, the signs of exhaustion, uh, bitterness, or pride. Where, where might those be showing up in your life? Are they there because you're ignoring or sacrificing a need, a desire, or a longing? It, it might be. So that's it for this episode. Thanks for hanging in there with us. And we hope you'll join us on the next one where we talk about a better belief that will help get you unstuck. John, always a pleasure. Yes, go love yourself <laughs> in a godly way and enjoy your glory because it's God-given. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at WithYouInTheWeeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.